um, with you. If you got your Bibles, go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. This is where we're going to begin today. And uh, before, we, before we start reading, I want to give a little context. Everybody shout context. Context. Context is really important for us. It helps us understand the backdrop of, of uh, the letter that we're reading or the segment of scripture that we're reading. Um, and I will say this. We've got to take a little bit of time on the front side of this message to kind of build up this context so that when we get to where it is that I want to get to with some practicalities and everything from, uh, from what we get out of, this, uh, out of these few verses that we're going to read, uh, we're going to understand it a little bit better. So I'm going to give some history, some context and everything like that. So this book, this letter, the letter to the Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who had this temptation of going backwards. You ever been there before? You ever been to the place where you were tempted to kind of go back? And uh, let's just do what was behind. Let, let, let maybe go back to my past. Go back to a different way of doing things. And if we're honest, like therapeutic moment, come on, how many of us in even our relationship with Jesus, there's those times I know that I've been there. I'm like, man, this Jesus thing is hard. Yeah. Can we, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. 12 o'clock's really trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> No, but, I, but I've been there before as well. Come on, like, can we just be honest in church today? And I think that's the reason that so many of us wrestle with faith is because a lot of times we don't want to say what we're all feeling. We don't want to say what we're all thinking, which is this Jesus thing is difficult at times. It's frustrating yeah. at times. Faith is hard. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. And so that's where these, the recipients of this letter, that was kind of where they were personally, they were personally at. And I think it's such an important letter for us today. Um, because I think it actually provides for us the backdrop of, of what many of us are facing right now in the here and now. Um, secondarily, uh, what we need to understand about this letter is that we don't know who wrote it. Okay? There's some conjecture about who wrote it. There's some uh, debate about who wrote it. Some people, uh, some scholars and commentaries believe that it was a Apollos. Uh, others believe that it was Paul. There's no agreement on it. So you'll hear me throughout talking about this letter and other moments through the series. I'll, I'll say the writer of Hebrews, just so you know I'm being generic because we don't know uh, who it is. And so um, in that, uh, the writer of Hebrews wants to convey one central message, Jesus. Amen. Full stop. Like if you don't get anything else out of this message today, just walk out of here knowing that this message, this letter is about Jesus. Every shout Jesus. Yes. Next week's message is about Jesus. Spoiler alert, week three, it's about Jesus, all right? And this, this writer's attempt to help us, he's going to spend all of these chapters trying to help us see one thing about Jesus, and that's this, that he's Mo Betta. Full stop, Jesus is better, all right? He's better than our past. He's better than that which the world gives us. He's better than the things that we can accumulate in life. Jesus is better. And that's the whole approach to this, this book of Hebrews simplified. So uh, with that as the backdrop, I want you to hear these first few verses that the writer throws out at us because um, I actually believe that these are the most important verses in the entirety of Hebrews because he sets it, he's like, kind of like, home run, right? He's setting up for just this big, awesome moment. Watch what, he, watch what he writes. Long ago, in a far, far away land. No, that's not what he writes, actually. <laughs> Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior 
to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So today as we begin our series, Chasing Horizons, I want to speak to you from the subject, More Than a Watchmaker. As we are introduced to this letter, of, this letter to the Hebrews and the supremacy of Jesus. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. It is your name that's above every other name. Your name is the greatest name. And it's that name that we reflect upon today. It's that name that we trust in today. It's that name that we believe on today. We know that where your name is spoken and where your presence is, there is freedom. And so we declare that in this house today. I declare freedom. I declare hope. I declare peace. I declare joy. That everything that we have in you would be yes and amen this morning. I pray for healing right now. And I pray for all of us where there is hardness of heart. God, I pray that you would soften. That we'd be able to receive your word this morning. And in receiving it, that it would take root. It would grow. It would flourish. It would build us and make us into who you desire us to be. That we would leave better than how we came in. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, at 12 p.m. Shouted. Amen. So there's this author named William Pillay. He writes a book in 1802 with an extremely long title. I want to read it just because it's a lot of fun and you would never pick this book up anywhere else. But his book is called this, Natural Theology or Evidences of the Existence and Attributes of the Deity Collected from the Appearances of Nature. book, he would present to us what is now known as the teleological argument, which is this. It is the argument that there is a creative designer behind it all. He would use the illustration of a watch, many of us wearing watches today, and he would say that a watch is not the product of, ra- of randomness and chaos, but rather the watch is the product of, of, of love and care and design, that a watchmaker had to make this thing so it would tick and it would talk and it would do exactly what it's supposed to do, how it was designed. That's the teleological argument. And at the end of the day, he would use this argument, he would use this this illustration to help us understand that there is a creator, his belief, in this case God, being the creator of this vast universe that we know. That it didn't come by happenstance, it wasn't from random chaos, it wasn't a little amoeba, short and stout, tip me over and all this pops right out. Like that's not where he was coming from. He was believing that God is the sustaining designer, but more than a watchmaker. Because the watchmaker just designs the watch and steps back and the watch does what it's supposed to do. But the writer of Hebrews and William Pillay would submit to us that, that God is more than a watchmaker. That not only did he design it and build it and make it and create it, he sustains it. There's a difference. The watchmaker steps back, but God doesn't step back. He designs, he builds, he makes, he breathes it into existence. And then all throughout the Bible, we have these statements about how he holds it all together with his word. He sustains it by his power. He sustains it by his authority. So he is more than a watchmaker who just designs, walks away, and says, I hope it all works. No, no, he's intricately involved. And we can take great encouragement from this. Why? Because it helps every single one of us know that God is intricately involved with your life, with my life, with the things that are going on. He hasn't stepped back. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't stepped away and said, well, I hope they figure it out. Come on, somebody. What's he saying? Jesus is better. He's still involved. But that's hard for us at times. And it's a truth that's becoming increasingly less accepted and more surprisingly amongst those who would consider themselves as Christ followers. 
And we know and are very much aware that we are living in a postmodern and post-God world. Culture and society as we know it is changing and has changed. The respect of reasoning and the conversation of difference has all but been thrown out the window and has given way to a new normal. Skepticism, unbelief, secularism. Validated by the mantra, God is dead. He's not involved. He never was. And while many people of faith, especially Christians, bemoan this reality, God, as always, sits comfortably secure in the same boat, the boat that has been pelted with the wind and the waves of doubt since the beginning of time, faith. But he's still there. And the problem is for many of us, we want to jump out of that boat. Come on, somebody. Have you ever been there before? Sitting in the boat of faith and, and as we're pelted with the wind and the waves of doubt and, and, and the way that the world's working right now and the things that we're going through, I don't know if you're like me, but there's moments I want to jump out the boat. Yeah. I don't like this boat anymore. I don't like sitting in the boat that's rocking and moving because of all these things. But Jesus has an uncanny way of sleeping in the boat, doesn't he? There's this moment, you remember this moment with his disciples? And they're out. They're in a boat, and the wind, and the waves, and they all start freaking out. And where was Jesus? Sleeping. On a pillow. A nice fluffy pillow. <laughs> on the boat. And they wake him, and they're like, what? And he's like, why are you waking me up? Why are you freaking out? And then he says to the wind and the waves, peace be still. Why? Because he's more than a watchmaker. He's more than a watchmaker. He has the ability to put stop to that which he actually created. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that if it's not progression that's tempting us from abandoning our faith, it's the allure of the past and that which is easy and familiar to us? And in the case of these recipients of this letter, their past was a system of religious adherence, a broken system of atonement. They were getting to the point where Jesus wasn't better. They were getting to the place where they didn't believe that Jesus was greater. That they thought this system back here, this way of being back here, this way of doing things back here, that it was better than Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince them. He's trying to help them see that Jesus is better than all of these things. And I think that's a lot like us, isn't it? Many times we can look at our past and we go, man, that's so much easier. It's more comfortable. We can actually be more comfortable with our addictions than we are with freedom. You ever seen that before? We can be more comfortable with dysfunction than we are freedom. It was amazing to me if you read the book of Exodus. It was a letter filled with the story. It was this moment filled with the story of Moses trying to lead these people out of captivity. And the entire time that they're walking this journey out, they're complaining about not being in captivity. They're like, at least in captivity, we had three square meals a day. And out here in freedom, it's quail and bread from heaven. Well, think about that dichotomy. Captivity, meals, freedom, miracles. And I don't know what it is about our humanity that we wrestle with this, this journey of going backwards. Have you ever noticed that our life of faith looks like this so many times? I want everything that you have for me, Jesus. I just want to pursue your will. What's the deal? It's difficult to move forward in a backward world. In the letter of Hebrews, this whole chasing horizons idea is about helping each and every single one of us learn to move forward in a backward world. That he's calling us to more. He's calling us to greater. 
The writer of Hebrews was concerned about these people going back. And I think it's an appropriate letter for us. As I think we struggle with the same thing. Going back. I've said it before in my own life. Your fearless pastor has said, man, it would be easier just to go back to not caring for people. (laughs) Come on, let's be, can we be, this is therapy, come on. (laughs) Can we be honest? It'd be a whole lot easier to just go back to being selfish. Come on. It's so much easier to stop caring for our city. People just, they can do what they need to do. Come on, somebody. Bible, when Jesus performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000, after he's gotten some of the worst news that he's ever received, it says he was trying to get away to mourn. And then the Bible says this interesting piece. It was the, it was the reason, it was the, it was the push to go feed these people. It says that he saw them and he had compassion on them. And Jesus had a choice right there before. Am I going to choose forward in a backward world or am I going to retreat? And how many times do we do that in our lives? I've got a choice for forward or I've got a choice for retreat. And if we're really, really, really like gutterly, like brutally honest, come on, it's so much easier to retreat. It's so much easier to just, I'm just going to go back. And so, in these first four verses... The writer of Hebrews gives his clarion call. Like it says like William Wallace put a kilt and blue paint on and shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> call. This is what I see when I read this. And he's trying to get these guys to understand. No, no, no. Jesus is better. And in these verses he gives us some very significant truths that we, that we need to hear. And that's what I want to work through through the remainder of our time together. So I need your help. Come on. Have a shout number one. Here's the first one. The insufficiency of our past is overshadowed by the fullness of his superiority. So these are the words that we need to understand, is that our past is insufficient in comparison to the fullness of his superiority. Our past leaves gaps. His fullness is fullness. In him is everything that we need. The insufficiency of our past is overshadowed by the fullness of his superiority. And I believe that this is one of the greatest issues that we face when it comes to actually moving forward in our lives. The tendency to try to go back to where we came from or what we are a part of, whether that be behaviors, friends, situations, thinking, doing, etc. If we're going to move forward in life and faith, we have to understand that the insufficiency of our past is overshadowed by who Jesus is. And it should cause us to move forward. That's why Paul the Apostle would write this in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. It says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm going to keep on walking. I'm going to keep on running. I'm going to keep on pursuing everything that he has for me. I am going to move forward in a backward world. I'm going to move forward. But that's difficult. It's hard. Because the way our heads work. You ever, you ever gone back to um, ever gone back to a place that you were Maybe accustomed to going to when you were younger, only to realize now that you're older, it doesn't feel, seem, look, smell the way that you thought it did in the past. Yeah. Yeah. You ever been there before? 
My kids love Chuck-a-rama. <laughs> How many of you ever been to the Chuck before? I call it the Chuck. <laughs> I know it's horrible. Here's why my kids love Chuck-a-rama. Because I brought them there. Why did I bring them there, you ask? I don't know. But I brought them there because I would go to Chuck-a-rama as a kid when we would come here to visit my dad. My dad would bring us to Chuck-a-rama. And what kid doesn't walk into a buffet and lose their mind? Right? Like you walk in, it's Disneyland for food. It's everywhere. Big old slabs of meat. This is the way it looked like when I was a kid. And, and, and all the bread that you could want. And you skip the, the, the salad area because that's just a green buffet. And I go straight over to where the ice cream and the desserts are at. Right? And it's right across from it. So all I need to do is like brownie, cinnamon bun, roll, brownie, honey butter. I'm done. America. <laughs> Chakarama was the place to be. And, I was, and, I, and, I, and the way that it was built up in my head. And then I walked in as an adult with my children. I went, oh, what have I done? And now my kids love it. Why? Because they see it the way that I saw it when I was a kid. But as I grew, it changed. As I matured, it changed. As I understood health more, it changed. (laughs) Come on. That's why later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer will tell us that we have this interesting decision between needing milk and eating meat. Maturity and growing. And at the end of the day, if we are going to grow in our faith, if we're going to grow up, if we're going to mature, at a certain point we have to start seeing things differently than how we saw it in the past. I have to start pursuing faith, the will of God, and realizing in doing that, my past is going to go further and further and further away from me. And it hopefully enables me to stop looking at my past as if it's attractive and something that can provide for me. Why? Because it's insufficient. You know my kids eat at Chuck-a-Rama every time we go? Which is very few times. It's only when she's out of town. (laughs) She won't go. I was thinking about this as as this illustration was kind of working itself through my head. My kids go for the same thing every single time they go on there. A plate of macaroni, fried chicken, and rolls. That's it. There's nothing substantive in that. I go to the salad bar and everybody judges me. I'm the guy walking out with a plate of just greens and I'm like, this is so good. My kids are like, you're weird, dad. Why? Because at the end of the day, where they're at in their maturity, they don't understand what is substantive versus non-substantive. And as I grow, I start to realize, and hopefully I can grow them to the place, because at a certain point, they'll go, I don't want Chakarama anymore. I want something greater. We're going to have all kinds of illustrations this morning. Fun illustrations. (laughs) So then he writes this. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened. Who tasted the heavenly gift. Who shared in the Holy Spirit. Who tasted God's good word and the powers of this coming age. Who have fallen away. 
Because when we start to move to the past and things in the past and the things that once controlled us and, and, and kept us in bondage, after we've tasted the goodness of God, the only way to make that adjustment is by hardening our hearts. Because then we have to start justifying in our head how the insufficient is somehow greater than the one who is all-sufficient. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? So this is the process that, that we start going down. And so we say things like this to justify, God wants me happy. Nope. Won't read it in the Bible. The Bible doesn't really mean it like that. That's just legalism. All of these statements birthed out of trying to justify going back to that which we now know is not good and is not greater than Jesus. Don't get quiet on me, church. Put it like this. I hate Folgers coffee. Come on. Some of you won't raise your hand because you love Folgers coffee. And you're like, I don't like you. The best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup. <laughs> so when I go camping with people, I judge them harshly when they pull out Folgers coffee. And then I pull out my ground coffee from a bag in my French press. And I'm going to teach them to taste and see the goodness of real coffee. Come on, can I get a witness in church today? Right? Why? Because my idea and my belief is if I can get you to drink this, you will never go back to what was in your cup before. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get. At the end of the day, once we have tasted and seen the goodness of God, why would I go back to what was insufficient? Why would I go back to that having me in bondage? Why would I go back to all those things? Why would I not want what is pure, sustainable, praiseworthy, good, glorious, everything in him is yes and amen. Every shot number two. <laughs> the insecurity of our present is overruled by the power of his authority. The insecurity of our present is overruled by the power of his authority. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature. Watch this. Sustaining all things by his what? Weak word. Insufficient word. Doubt-filled. Uh-uh. What's this sustained by? His powerful word. And it's amazing how many people I talk to are so riddled with fear and insecurity right now because of the times that we are living in and the atmosphere of the world that we are in. And I'm going to tell you this this morning. If we set our hope in politics, we will be insecure. If we set our hope in the financial markets, we will be insecure. If we set our hope in all of these different things, we're going to be insecure. If we set our hope in stuff and things, we will be insecure. Why? Because at the end of the day, it all pales in comparison to who Jesus is. Is because he is powerful and he is full of authority. One of the greatest truths that we can ever assimilate in our lives is that we can stand secure. 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 Immovable. Why? Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts in them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. <laughs> 
every time. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock. (laughs) But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on what? The sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. And not only did it collapse, but he wants to make sure it collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished by his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. He was saying something that can only come by way of somebody who has authority. He was establishing a rock of security. Why? Because he has authority. People who don't have authority cannot establish strength. Come on. People without authority cannot establish security. That's why in insecure moments you always look for somebody with authority. Why? Because if somebody with authority is around, I can anchor myself in stability. Come on, am I making sense? I had a conversation with my daughter. She's eight years old. She is a spitting image of personality and all the things of my wife. Lucky girl. She's amazing. (laughs) And I was having a conversation with her that went something like this. Hey, Dad. Yeah, baby. You're the boss of the well, right? (laughs) And I said, well, technically speaking, Jesus is the head of the church. And then he gave apostles, prophets, teachers. It's Ephesians 4. Go read it. So... (laughs) No, 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 Dad. But you're the boss, right? Yeah, yeah, babe. Like, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm the boss. You can see your wheel spinning. So I'm the boss. <laughs> I said, baby, that's one way to think about it. Um, not the right way, but one way to think about it. What was she doing? She was not assessing whether she's going to walk in here and be able to tell everybody what to do. She was assessing what she had by way of the one she was connected to. Is my authority dependent upon your authority? Because if it is, awesome. I can walk into my classroom and tell the teacher what to do. So she thinks. It doesn't work. I had confirmation in the first service from one of our teachers that she does this. But what was she assessing? She was assessing that she has authority by way of who she is connected to. The bloodline that she is a part of. And I wonder if we as Christ followers could assess our lives from the same position. That I actually have authority because he's authority. That I actually have the ability to stand and pray for healing. Why? Because he's given me the ability. My authority as a believer comes from the authority of my father. The one whose word sustains all things. Holds it all together. Put the stars in the sky. That is where my authority stands. So guess what? I walk into every situation, not shaky, not unstable, not insecure, but I'm able to plant my feet, put my shoulders back and go, wait a second, I know who my dad is. He kind of runs this place. You see why he's more than a watchmaker? If we believe that God created and stepped back and said, I hope it all works out, we no longer have authority because he's no longer exercising authority. But our Bible tells us something else, that even right now he's still exercising authority, so we as sons and daughters have access to authority. And then the Bible tells us that everything in him is yes and amen. It's a foundation issue. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 For although we live in the flesh we do not wage war according to it. 
Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful, who? Through God. For the demolition of strongholds. Come on. We demolish arguments. And every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive. The only reason we can do that is not because of our authority, but because of his authority. It's a bloodline. Luke 10, 19 through 20. Look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What? That's crazy. So I'm kind of, like, I kind of have power here. I wonder if we can live non-shaken. Maybe shook, but not shaken. I mean, things are going to rattle us, but not shaken. Why? Because I have authority in Christ Jesus. Number three. Come on, everybody. Shout number three. The last one is this. The incertitude of our future is overcome by the finality of his work. Say that one more time. The incertitude of our future is overcome by the finality of his work. Here's the cosmic mic drop that happens, if you will. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know a position of sitting like that is what someone does when they are what? Finished. I sat down. He said it was finished on the cross. He rose again three days later. He ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because it's finished. It's finished. I read this quote the other day and it it, it rattled me on the inside and changed some perspectives. But um, Bible exposition commentary says this. So many times we forfeit what is permanent because we depend on and live for what is immediate. Then I took it and messed around with it a little bit. And so many times what we do is we forget about and forfeit what has been finished in order to play around with what is not done. And what is insufficient. At the end of the day. These people who were receiving this letter were tempted to go back to what was unfinished. For them, it was a broken system of religion. It was atonement by way of sacrifices. It was atonement by way of what they could do. It was a system that they had to. They had to do. The power was dependent upon them. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, no, 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 wait a second. Remember Jesus. Remember that he is the author and the what? Finisher of our faith. That he said it was finished. That he sat at the right hand of God. And what he was trying to get them to understand is that their salvation, their eternity was not predicated on an Ikea faith. You been to Ikea before? It's a store of unfinished works. That's what it means in Swedish. Ikea, store of unfinished works and meatballs. 
come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You go to Ikea, you buy a box of an unfinished work, then they make you go home with it, you pop open that box, you get the tools, and you start building it yourself. You have to make this thing work. And if you're like me, you quickly realize halfway through it that I forgot a screw. So then I have to unbuild it, deconstruct it, find it all, get my wife to come over and explain Swedish to me and the stick people, and then start building it up again. Only to realize when I got to the end, I forgot the same thing. Or I had that piece of wood flipped over. Why? It's a furniture that's predicated, it's building on me and my ability. But we do not serve an Ikea God. We serve a master carpenter who said it was finished. He built it. It was done. It was sanded. It was lacquered. And you can sit on it because it's secure. (laughs) And the scary thing is is that for many of us, we are doing this life of faith, believing it's an Ikea salvation. One that I have to put together, that I have to build. He put it together. It's a finished work. He said it's done. And then he stepped back and he sat down. That's how good it was. That's how impenetrable it is. That's how reliable it is. We don't buy Ikea furniture anymore. (laughs) Why? I don't trust me. She doesn't trust me. (laughs) So I can tell you, all the furniture in the house, you can sit on it. (laughs) It'll be all right. (laughs) We've got to step back for a moment at the outset of this series and look at what we're trusting in. What is the premise of our faith? And I think in so many moments and so many times we don't do this. We try to live in such a way that we're believing for just the best things of our faith. Come on. God is only good if he provides for me. God is only good if it works out for me. Because faith can't be faith if I'm going through a trial. God can't be God and good if I'm going through a trial. But that's not faith. All these, all all the recipients of this letter, they were going through all those, they were persecuted. (laughs) In a way that none of us in here would ever understand. See, none of us woke up today and said, man, on on, on our way to the well, on our way to church this morning, I really hope that we don't get pulled off and killed because we're going to church. No one thought that. The worst case scenario for us is that they get our coffee order wrong. Right? (laughs) Oh, I could go so many places with this. We treat our faith sometimes in a way that I think stops us from fully understanding who Jesus is and what he's provided for us. And my concern as the pastor of of this house 
that we don't take moments to reorient our head and our heart. And a message like this, is it, it's harder to hear. Like, it's harder to come to church on a Sunday and go, whoa, we're about to like really go bible here today and, and, and go deep because a lot of us are struggling with things right now. And they're like, I just, need, I just need encouragement for because I'm going through this situation or, or I'm dealing with finances or I'm dealing with help and we want encouragement and we want laughter and we want joy and we want all those different things. But can I just tell you something at the end of the day that the only place that we really get the help that we're looking for is Jesus. It's not another good message. I read these points that I wrote, and if I'm really honest with you, I kind of giggle at them. It's a great point. Very poetic. Big words. But Paul said, we didn't come to you with big words. We didn't come to you with fancy sayings. We came to you with a demonstration of power. I wonder if Jesus is enough for us. 12 o'clock, I, I wonder if Jesus is enough for us. I wonder if our faith can be built on more than just the worship team hitting all their notes rightly. <laughs> I wonder if our faith is built on more than Jason hitting it out of the park this weekend. What if it's just Jesus? if our faith can be built upon something greater than whether the coffee is good or not or whether they remembered my name or whether my check-in process went smoothly I wonder if we could read this one more time and this be where our faith is at that long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. I don't know about you, but on this Sunday in September, I want my faith. I want my past. I want my now and I want my future residing on that one. The one who is above all things, is working in all things, is holding up all things, and is protecting all things. The name of Jesus. The name that is above every other name. The one I bow to, the one I worship to, the one I praise, the one I go through pain with, the one I go through joy with. His name is Jesus. And I wonder if today he would be ours. I'm going to invite everybody to stand to our feet right now.